Welcome to Horror Struck. What's up, horror babies? Welcome back to Horror Struck, a horror commentary podcast where we look at the genre through the lens of a diehard fan and of me, a scaredy cat. I am Riley Ott. I am joined by my co-host and best friend, Cecilia Talbert. This week, we took a look at the 1975 film Jaws, directed by Steven Spielberg. Spoiler warnings for Jaws. There will be many spoilers. Happy July! Happy July! My birthday month! Birthday month! Are you excited? No. (laughs) I mean, it's fine. Time's not even linear, right? I like that Bo Burnham is right around our same age, so like I feel like he wrote me that that Turning 30 song. It didn't help. It just made me more depressed. Kind of nice to know everybody feels kind of the same. Not that I didn't know that before, but... I feel like 30 wasn't that big of a year before, though. I think it's just because our generation, we are starting families later, so I feel like 30 is that really big distinction between, like, your childhood and adulthood, whereas I feel like before it was probably 20. Ew, that's so much more stressful. Right? 30, I might as well be dead? Is that what you're trying to say? No. That's what I said on my 25th birthday. As soon I'll be 30 and then I'll be dead. 30 was both the weirdest acclimation and the quickest acclimation. I think I'll be fine once it actually happens because that's what my 25th birthday was like too. I was being so dramatic and then I was like, oh no, I'm good. It's fine. Nothing has changed. Your last age, your 20s, you're like, oh no. And then you turn 30 and you're like, oh, okay, that's fine. (laughs) Nothing has happened. It's good. Have you been doing anything? I feel like I've pretty much avoided horror for the past couple weeks just in my downtime. Mm -hmm. I haven't really read any because I'm just reading like old books from middle school. Like I've read a bunch of the like Newbery Metal winners. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, they're all really good. They're novels. It counts. I need to reread Holes. Holes is so good. I loved Holes. I read Number of the Stars for the first time and it was really good. I reread Maniac McGee, which I found out you'd never read, and I was distraught. <laughs> no, I never read it. <laughs> or if I did read book. it, I just don't remember it. They made a really, really bad Nickelodeon movie at one point based on the book. I think it might be on YouTube somewhere. I'm going to go watch it, but I remember not liking it. Yeah. Other than that, um, I've just been watching nice shows. I've decided I only want to watch nice things right now. That's fair. I've watched Everything is Gonna Be Okay on Freeform, which is really, really good. Is that the one where it's like the kid's dad dies? And their half-brother is like raising them. He's like in a relationship. He has like a partner, right? Yeah, he's got a boyfriend. He is living in the dad's house because he's from Australia. So he's like the the half-brother of these kids and he has to move to America full-time to raise his two sisters. One of them has autism and there's just a lot of stuff going on based around all of that. Oh man, speaking of autism, Mm -hmm. I knew it was bad, Sia's movie, but I didn't look into it because once I heard it was bad, I was like, I'm not giving it my attention. And then I watched a reviewer talking about the movie and I was like, oh my god, how did this get made? I think the worst part that I heard was Maddie Ziegler, the actress who plays like an autistic character, and she had said, I don't know if I should be playing this role. I don't don't want to offend anyone. And they made her do it anyway. They made her do it anyway because Sia basically said, well, we tried to do it with an autistic actress, but oh my I just couldn't direct her right. Yeah. So we're just having Maddie do it. 
then maybe you shouldn't be directing it. Maybe that's the problem. Or maybe you shouldn't be making a movie about autism. Make a movie about something else. Something that, like, you are familiar with. Why are you just trying to exploit autistic people for your film? I don't get it. I don't know. And I heard it's hard for people with autism to watch it. The guy on YouTube I was watching who had reviewed and analyzed the movie talked about how Sia doesn't like musicals, but she essentially made a musical. What? There are, like music videos because it's supposed to be like what the lead girl music who has autism is seeing in her brain her name is music her name is music but they're very loud they're very bright one of the main things with autism is having sensory overload and that is what these are that sounds awful who is this movie for good question And Sia tried to say that she'd spent three years researching it and I'm going to move off of this subject. That's fine. I just want to complain about it. Jesus Christ. What were they thinking? Have I been doing anything else? Yeah, what have you been watching? We watched Cruel Summer. So we are recording a little bit ahead of time. So the season finale of Cruel Summer just aired and it was so good. If you have not seen... It was so good. If you haven't seen Cruel Summer yet, it's going to be such a good binge watch. It's on Freeform and it's on Hulu. It's good. Highly recommend 10 out of 10 i loved it i agree every single episode was phenomenal at no point was i bored or i was like oh this is unnecessary or anything and the acting is phenomenal the story is tied up so well the last episode that i just watched like a couple hours ago it was so good to the point where the second it ended i was like okay i need to go restart the entire thing because now i have to watch this with a completely different perspective it was so good and it really nails the finale the finale is very good. It gave me every single thing I wanted and more. Thank you, Jessica Biel. Our Lord and Savior, Jessica Biel. Who knew? She's been making some hits. I've heard The Sinner's really good. Cruel Summer was really good. I don't know how involved she actually is, but I know she is a producer on both. Let's talk about Jaws. No. I should have made a swimming pool and gotten my swimming pool for this. Oh, that would be fun. That would be very thematic. Well, we're gonna have to talk about Jaws eventually. Ugh. I guess. This week we decided to watch and talk about the classic movie, Jaws. This will be a really interesting episode because Riley and I are on sort of different spectrums when it comes to this movie. I really love Jaws. Riley, what are your feelings? I don't like it. Jaws bad. I think I might be the only person on earth that doesn't like Jaws. I've tried so hard to find like a valid bad review of this film. I can't do it. I don't even know why I don't like it. It's boring. I do wonder if for you, this would be a better theater movie than a sitting at home movie. Yeah, I had a very hard time paying attention to it. I think maybe if I were forced to sit in a theater and have no distractions, but I think a lot of the issue is it's a horror movie. It is. But it's an action movie at its core, and I do not like action movies. There's, like, maybe... God, can I even think of one that I like? Do you like National Treasure? Okay, yeah, that one's good. I like that. Do you like Jurassic Park? Yeah, 
I like the Edge of Tomorrow, the Tom Cruise one. That one's cool. Oh, the Edge of Tomorrow is so good. Michael's never seen it, and he's like, I don't know. Oh, you should watch it. No, we have to watch it. Yeah, that one's really good. It's so good. I don't like James Bond movies. Well, I've never seen them, but I I (laughs) feel like I wouldn't like Fast and Furious that much. Fast and Furious is a very, very good group movie. I feel like you would not enjoy it on your own, but I feel like if we went together and saw it in the theater, you would love it. Do you think that would have been true for Jaws? Do you think I would have liked it if we'd watched it together? I don't know. I do think it really does come down to the fact that you've said before that it's really hard for you sometimes to watch movies at home. And so I feel like if you were to go see this in the theater in a non-distracted setting, I think you would really enjoy it. Movie theaters have opened back up or I feel comfortable going now because I'm vaccinated. And I've been going to the movies like every weekend since I, for the past like three weeks, I've gone to the movies. So I think it might also be the fact that I know that I could be sitting in a theater watching something because I put off watching this movie for weeks, even though I knew we were going to record this. Well, we were both also very busy, so. I'm busy, but I'm also lazy. Uh, Same. I had plenty of time to watch (laughs) it. I just didn't want to. The first time that I watched Jaws, because this was the second time I'd watched it, technically third, because I watched it by myself and then Michael was like, oh, Jaws. So we watched it together. But I remember thinking that it was boring the first time I watched it. And I wonder if it was because at that time I was living in Kent and I was distracted watching it. So like I was getting up a bunch during it. And when I sat down this time to watch it, I really liked it. So we're just going to have to do a movie test with you. Maybe as we talk about it, I'll decide what I think. Maybe if you get, not that you don't have appreciation for the filmmaking, but maybe once you learn more about it and you go back and watch it, you'll catch more and maybe you'll enjoy it more. I thought the filmmaking itself was good. I thought the movie is beautifully shot. Beautiful. The acting's good. Richard Dreyfuss especially is phenomenal. So good. You know what the problem is? (laughs) The shark did nothing wrong. I was mad at them because don't go into the shark's home and murder it. It lives there. If it wants to eat people that keep coming into its house uninvited, good, let it. But they do make a big point in saying this is not its territory. It's not supposed to be there. It's not human territory. You're not supposed to be existent. Fuck you guys. Leave. Yeah, but in the terms of this movie, this shark is like evil smart. Listen, it also is very bizarre that the shark was so smart. It kept like coming back to the exact same place to like murder specific people. It's a force of nature. You can't stop it. Oh, when it went into the pond. Oh yeah, that part was actually kind of scary. You know, some people have compared this as a metaphor to Watergate because it came out right around that time. I don't honestly care for that. I didn't even look into the reading because I was like, don't care. About Watergate? This was the shark Richard Nixon? I have no idea. I just saw an article where somebody was like, ah, Jaws, just like Watergate. And I was like, no, thank you. I'm good. I, I used to know a lot about Watergate, but it's been a while. I can't find any comparison right now, though. This movie is gorgeous. It is beautiful. And I watched the special on the Blu-ray where they talked about what they did to restore the film. And it is incredible. Oh, it's just so good. I love it. Okay, you keep loving it. You do you. I love it. I think the direction is really good. The way that this is especially adapted from the book, I think works really well for the screen. I love how natural the character development happens in this movie. 
I like that you can see that the actors are making choices that their characters would make. In particular about the fact that when you get that first beach shark attack scene and Brody runs to the water, he never touches the water. He just runs on the beach and he keeps running back because the water keeps coming at him because he's afraid of it and it's brilliant. He never really touches the water until the very last act of the movie. I understand. It's okay. I'm just going to rave at you. <laughs> try to get you with my enthusiasm. No, I. it's not working. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> I understand they try to explain this away in the movie. But like, sir, if you hate water that much, why did you move here? You are like a town, not a town official. Well, I guess, yeah, because sheriffs get voted in. Why did you decide to be that in this town? town specifically you'd have to know at some point you're gonna have to go near or in water hooper does ask him that he's like why did you choose to be on an island if you're so afraid of the water doesn't make much sense for a guy who hates the water to live on an island either it's only an island if you look at it from the water he wanted to move to a town that didn't have a lot of problems he couldn't fix. He has a whole monologue where he talks about having been an officer in New York and about how like all this stuff would just happen. And there was nothing he could do to affect it. But here, where no murders happen, there's just little light things. He felt like he could make a difference in the townspeople's lives. That sounds like he's just being lazy. Sir, if you don't want to solve crimes, don't be a cop. I think he's just exhausted from it, just worn down from it. They do a very, very good job of evolving Brody's character throughout the movie. They do a really good job, I think, with all of the characters. One of my favorites is definitely Mayor Vaughn. Oh, that guy sucks. They make him so, like, capitalist evil, but then they kind of give him a little bit of heart in the last thing you really see from him, which is when he looks at Brody and he goes, my kids were on that beach. And you go, oh. Deep down, this movie is all about survival. Survival from the shark, survival of the town, because if the beaches are closed, the town will go under because they make all their money in the summer months. And so every character in their own way in this movie is trying to survive something. You can't make money from people if they're being eaten by a shark, though. Solve your problem and then... But if you are in denial... I guess. I don't know. I really never found anything to like about the mayor. I don't think you're necessarily supposed to like him, but I think he they do humanize him. I don't have any sympathy for him because if he's just like, well, if other people get eaten by a shark, it's not my problem. But I guess now that it's my kids, then I care. I'm like, sir, you just don't care about things unless they happen directly to you? Fuck you. He's definitely a Yeah, that's a lot of people, though. Obviously. Is this why I hate the movie? Because I hate quarantine content? Now I'm just paralleling it with that in my head? The shark is coronavirus? This movie reminds me a lot of Psycho. John Williams' score elevates this movie in the same way that Bernard Herrmann's score really elevates Psycho. John Williams is, obviously, he's a genius. I think this might have been one of the first really big movies he ever did. Oh, really? Up to this point, he was mostly just doing, I think, like, TV show scores. Did you read the trivia where at the Academy Awards that year, he was conducting the orchestra when he won Best Score, and he had to, like, run <gasps> up from under and accept this oh, award. Oh, that's wonderful. He had to run back down when they were um doing, like, exit music for him. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, because it won Best Score, it won Best Sound, and it also won Best Film editing and this movie was edited by verna fields and she is amazing this movie is so well cut together 
If you go back and rewatch the beach scene with the first shark attack, they do these like wipe shots where someone will walk past the camera and then we'll zoom in closer and closer on Brody. It's so seamless. I don't have anything really to complain about with the actual filmmaking. I thought I would just go over this up top. The cinematographer was Bill Butler. He's a really, really popular cinematographer, but he also was the cinematographer for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, okay. That's a movie that I do like. Let's talk about that. Dude, I never realized what the term blockbuster meant because it's such a part of our culture that it just seems like a word that's always existed. That people are lining up around the block for it? Yeah, it busts the block. And this was the first blockbuster. Ever? Yeah. This was the first movie to make over $100 million domestic. And then Star Wars, I think, would be the next big one. It was a phenomenon, this movie. Man, what's wrong with me? I still think you need to go see it in a movie theater, and then we can make the final judgment. So the movie begins with the credits in John Williams' wonderful score. Essentially, it introduces us to the shark without us seeing it, because you see through the shark's eyes, and you get the shark's essentially, like, his attack music. (laughs) introducing you really quickly the visuals you're going to get later on in the movie and also does a really interesting subversion where you think the music is going to get louder and louder but then it just cuts to the beach scene you're like oh i'm not gonna see a shark attack at least not yet yeah this beach scene at the very beginning set up really well Young adults at a beach, around a fire. Two of the kids run off together. The girl jumps in the water. The man passes out on the beach. And while she's in the water, you see her jerk. And then she goes back and forth, back and forth, starts screaming. And then she's just dragged under the water and there's silence. What do you think happened to her? Did she go live with the shark? Uh... (laughs) This is not The Shape of Water. Oh, man. I like that movie. Brilliant scene to set up the movie. I like that you don't see a lot, but you get so much. The actress who plays Chrissy, she's actually a stunt woman. It was really interesting because the way they achieved this was essentially they had, like, ropes around her waist going out to the beach, and then they'd had crew members running back and forth to kind of give her that jerking motion, but she also had the ability to unhook herself in case she got into trouble. So it's all pretty much her just selling it, and it works so well. Okay, that's kind of cool. I do like this scene up top. I was excited about the movie going into it. I think it was a little goofy. Like, not the part in the water, but the part before where she's, like, stripping, and then they, like, fall down the hill. It's supposed to be wistful in summer. and Topless hill tumbling going on just supposed to be happy and you get this good contrast between him like passed out still on the beach and all this like splashing and franticness in the water and then it's just beautifully shot the sunrise coming up as he's laying on the beach it's beautiful and there is something so scary about the idea of being attacked and then you're just gone. Well, I'm dead, so I'm not going to be too upset about it. I won't know. Or screaming for help and that other person just can't come help you. <laughs> that's also frightening. Yeah, but that's also why you shouldn't get blackout drunk and then get into the ocean. Well, they're teenagers. She wasn't blackout drunk. He was. Good thing he didn't get in the ocean. He would have drowned. Oh, yeah, definitely. He passed out. I kept thinking the tide was going to just take him away. <laughs> he was like asleep on the edge of the water. There's a lot of really cool things they do with the camera in this movie. I think probably one of the most notable is the point of view from the shark where you're kind of like underneath the water looking up. It's really cool. And it's such a brilliant way to get around not showing your creature. Well, it's just POV. I'm a shark and I'm about to eat you. They had to build special waterproof boxes that had like never been built before so they could get these shots. That's fun. Well, I've seen it now because it's been done a lot now. <laughs> We go from this to meeting the Brodies. 
Chief Brody, who is the new sheriff in town, his wife. Uh, I think you see both of his kids in this beginning shot. I think one's at home and one's like at the beach or like the backyard or something. They're new to town. He's just starting his job. You get Alan and Brody's relationship really quickly. They're very sweet together. I am glad that they decided to not go the book route for their relationship. I was going to try to get a copy of the book and read this before we sat down, but I, I couldn't. What's going on in the book? They hate each other. Alan actually has an affair with Hooper. Yeah, I would have too. He was hot. One of the reasons that Vaughn wants the beach to stay open so much is because he owes money to the mafia. And so he needs that summer money. Okay, hold on. I need to read the book. This sounds great. It sounds way better. And also, apparently, all the characters in the book are extremely unlikable. Yeah, they kind of are in the movie, too, honestly. No! I love uh, all the characters. The main three characters, I love them. I like uh, two of them. Who don't you like? Quint? Yeah. Oh, I love Quint. He's obnoxious. That monologue he gives about being on the Indianapolis. Yeah, and he says, you know what caused D-Day? Sharks. I'm like, okay. That whole story about him and his crew being in the water and picked off by sharks. It's so good. And it's placement in the movie, I think, works so well because you already have a good feeling about his character, but it makes sense that he would not have this monologue until the end of the movie because he doesn't trust anybody. So he doesn't give that monologue until he is starting to trust Brody and Hooper. I don't have a good feeling about him ever. I never do. I think he's weird. He does some things that I uh, find very questionable and I think he could have saved his own life, but he chose not to. He falls prey to his hubris, which is he's hot-headed. He doesn't think things out the way that like, let's say Hooper does. And that's why he does crazy things like putting the boat at full throttle and they're telling him to stop. No, he's not thinking ahead. He's just thinking, I need to get to shore. You know who he reminds me of? Jesus. Star-Lord. Star-Lord! He doesn't want help from anybody. He refuses to have them call in the Coast Guard. It made me so mad. Because he wants to kill this shark because there is a clear... He's Captain Ahab. I get it. Jesus. Yes. I read the trivia. They were like, yeah, we were going to have him watching the Moby Dick movie when we first meet him. I'm like, I hate this. I hate it so much. I hate when we first meet him. And he's like, let me scratch my nails on this chalkboard to get your attention. I'm a pirate. Like, I fucking hate you. You're weird. He reminds me a lot like Brody in the fact that he's very much apart from the island. He's very much like Brody. Brody is an outsider. Also, Quint's death in the book was that he got a rope tied around his ankle and he got drowned by the shark instead of ate by the shark. And I like that he gets destroyed by the shark. It's a very upsetting scene. It is very upsetting, but it's kind of full circle for him. Did he want to get eaten by the shark? He was like, all my friends did. That sounds fun. His story reminds me of Borrowed Time. Like he was one of the few people in his crew who didn't get eaten by a shark. And so it was almost like he was on Borrowed Time. He's got like that survivor's guilt probably too so probably it's probably okay getting eaten brody gets a call that he needs to come into work his wife is like walking him out of the house and she says be careful and he's like what in this town you just jinxed yourself bud it's just all this crime is following him i mean i guess the shark's not committing crimes it's just being a shark we see him driving through town we get the shot of the iconic billboard It says the 50th anniversary of the July 4th regatta. Not only do they not want to shut the beaches down because it's 4th of July, but it's a big anniversary. 
I didn't know his name, so I wrote drunk boy, but Brody meets up with the boy who fell asleep on the beach, or just kind of talking back and forth about Chrissy. They also banter a little bit about being an islander, which is going to emphasize Brody's role in this town because he is an outsider, and they make a big point of letting you know that if you're not born on the island, you can never be an islander. Yeah, I think his wife at one point like asks one of her friends, she's like, when do I get to be considered an islander? And they're like, well, you weren't born here, so never. Yeah, so it's just emphasizing Brody's status as an outsider of this town. I feel like they're not really treating him as an outsider. They're treating him as like... As the sheriff. A servant. Yeah, that too. Yeah are coming to him for every single like minuscule problem I'm like this poor man can he catch a break one of the things that I think they do really well with Brody as a character is that you can pretty much interpret him being on the island as being very selfish because of the fact that he moved there to have a quiet life. But it changes because he could just simply let the mayor handle the shark but he takes an active role in finding and killing the shark him going from being an outsider to him becoming not technically an islander but becoming a part of this town and really fighting for the people of this town i mean if they don't accept him by the end of the movie he should probably just move oh i think they for sure will i mean he blew up a shark so i don't know i didn't get to see anything past that maybe i just wanted to see them throw him they made it to town well maybe i wanted to see them throw him a parade or something for doing such a good job they probably will maybe that happens in jaws too Who's going to get Quint's money? Are they still going to give him the money? The mayor will probably be like, oh, he's dead. It doesn't count anymore. I'm going to keep it. They could give it to his, like, servant friend. Quint's servant? His, like, beleaguered employee. Oh, okay. I mean, I doubt they will. Well, it'll probably depend if he has a will, whoever is getting money in his will, because he had a contract. He left it to the shark that ate all his friends. (laughs) Oh, sad. Brody and this boy are on the beach. They're talking back and forth and then you hear a whistle. And so they run to the whistle. This poor deputy, um, he is shell-shocked. They find the remains of Chrissy on the beach. This is a good shot of her like mangled hand with all the like crabs on it. You want to hear a fun fact? Yes. The hand that you see in the sand was supposed to be a prop hand. But when the prop department gave it to Steven Spielberg, he was like, this looks really waxy and plasticky. It doesn't look real. And they said, this is how how your body looks when it's in the water after a certain amount of time. But he still didn't like it because he's like, it's going to look fake. And so he got someone to just put their hand up through the sand. So it's a real hand. Oh, he like buried someone yeah in there that'd be a very weird day at work and then they just put a bunch of crabs around it okay i mean but it looks good he should have found a dead bloated body from the morgue oh my gosh that scene where hooper gets to town he asks to see the remains of the first victim and they literally just pull out like this little bin like here's what's left oh my god (laughs) he's just like gagging over it yeah yeah so we cut from the beach to brody going into work where he can fill out this incident report it's really funny. I love the juxtaposition of him filling out this shark attack form. His secretary coming in and being like, oh, the nine-year-old's down at the karate the karate studio. They've been karate chopping everyone's picket fences. The whole scene with the secretary where he's just trying to like do work and she's just like talking nonstop at him was pretty funny. It's a fun juxtaposition between the seriousness of the shark attack and the non-problems of this small town. I think the humor in the movie was really good. 
good. Oh, it's so good. I think I have the same feelings about this movie as I do as Poltergeist. I think I like Poltergeist a lot more, actually. But I thought it was really good as like a family comedy, but the horror parts weren't for me. The medical examiner calls him, and that's how he knows it's a shark attack. He asks his deputy, like, where are the beach clothes signs? And the deputy's like, we don't have those. He's like, oh, fuck. So he has to go into town to get them, because that is how unprepared this town is. I mean, that's good if they've got a good track record of not getting eaten by sharks. There's just little things I do in Brody going to town to get signs that really build up how big summer is for these people. Like he goes into the convenience store and the clerk is like, you know, I don't have any of these summer stuff. I can't wait till August to get them. I like that they show Brody as kind of being like a buffoon a little bit. Like he's just juggling with all these paintbrushes and struggling to get all these things. Like he's just out of his depth. He wasn't expecting to have to deal with this much problem on his new supposedly quiet town job. If he was a police officer in New York at one point though, wouldn't he have just like shifted back into that kind of gear? Or maybe he was a really shitty police officer and they made him quit. He's just been lying to us. To be fair, uh, you probably don't have to deal with shark attacks when you're in New York. In the middle of New York City? Lots of sharks. Because if it had been something else like a murder or shooting, I'm sure he would have been fine and he would have known how to handle it. But he's like, how the fuck do I deal with a shark attack? I don't even like the water. Better get over it. Spoilers, he does. The deputy shows up, they switch spots because the Boy Scouts are having like some sort of swimming trial. So he's like, I gotta, I gotta go save the Boy Scouts. And this is the first time we see the mayor because the mayor tries to stop him, but he's kind of, Brody's already gone. He's going to the ferry so he can try to stop the Boy Scouts. I love that without any lines, just his costume, you know what kind of person Vaughn is going to be. His suit with the anchors on it, I'm like, oh, he is into summer. He's a fucking clown. (laughs) When Brody gets to the ferry, the mayor kind of comes up right behind him in his like fancy car and him and a bunch of the officials get out. And while this ferry is going towards the Boy Scouts or going towards, you know, the other side of the bay or whatever, I don't know anything about sea terms. I don't live on the ocean. The mayor, the officials, and the medical examiner essentially convince him to not say it was a shark attack. What do they say? They say, oh, she got drunk and it must have been like the boat. Yeah, they thought she got like chopped up by a boat propeller. That's not really how boat propellers work. They don't take a big, like, chunk out of you. Brody, at first, doesn't really have a big spine in this movie. He definitely grows it as the movie goes along. More having to do with the fact that he's kind of out of his depth with the situation. So he tells them, fine, you know, if you'll take the responsibility of saying it was a boat and not a shark, you know, it's it's on you. There were a lot of really, really good lines in his talk with Vaughn. I'm only trying to say that Amity is a summer town. We need summer dollars. And then he also says, You yell Barracuda. Everybody says, huh? What? You yell shark. We've got a panic on our hands on the 4th of July. We cannot say there's a shark attack. It will scare the tourists away. And I wonder if the reason, one of the reasons besides the money that he's so unwilling to believe is a shark attack is because it's never happened here. So he just doesn't believe it. Vaughn is a very flawed character. He cares more about money than people until his kids are involved. I think he probably deep down knows that it's true that it was a shark. 
but he's just so blinded by his own greed that he starts to believe his own made-up story about the boat propeller. Makes sense for him to be doubtful after the first attack, but after the boy is killed, ooh, yeah, it's really bad that he's still kind of just like, we're only closing the beach for 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah, indefensible after the second attack. From what I've learned about specifically this country from the past year and a half is that it doesn't matter how many people die. If you have your head up your own ass far enough, you can believe whatever you want. Capitalism is the real villain here. The shark is just a fucking shark. I don't, it would have really been a problem. They could have closed the beaches. The shark in the waters, I don't think would have been that big of a problem. I mean, they still probably would have had to go out and do something if the shark didn't move on to a different territory. But it's like almost 4th of July. It's like several days away from 4th of July. I feel like if you have that many tourists there that like witness this, you're going to have a hard time denying it's a shark too. Like, no, we all saw it. That's one of the reasons why he's also in shock. Brody says something after the third attack on the 4th of July where they're at the hospital and he's like, you're going to be known as the mayor of Shark City. That sounds like a fun like cartoon town. I'd love to be the mayor of Shark City. The way that they shoot this fairy scene, I think they do a very good job of telling story with the camera, which is if you look at the shot, Brody is pushed all the way to the side and he's just being kind of surrounded by the council members. Like he doesn't have anywhere to get out or escape. So he's really being forced into this decision. Yeah, like forced to confront. Yeah. Yeah. It's beach fun day. My ideal beach day. Let's go get murdered. Even though Brody has let the medical examiner change the findings on this girl's death, he's still very conscious of what's happening. I think it's really interesting that they show the shark attack from his eyes as opposed to even like the boy being attacked. I think is interesting and I love the way they shoot this. They build this tension of him just watching the ocean waiting for something to happen. It makes me mad. It makes him seem complicit in this. Like if that were me, I'd be standing at the edge of the water just going, get out of there, you dumbasses!" And he's just sitting there waiting. He's like, someone's going to get eaten. Oh no, what do I do? He doesn't know what he's supposed to do. And I guess he, yeah, don't want to like cause panic, but he suspects something might happen, but he's not sure. His kids are out there too, though. Yeah. And so I wonder if he's almost been even convinced by the council members that like it probably wasn't a shark attack. This scene is so tragic. It's so good, though. I love that you see... Did I even write down what this kid's name was? I think his name was Alex. Um, It was definitely Alex. He, like, runs to his mom and asks her, like, can I go back in the water? And she's like, well, I guess, but only 10 minutes. I read some very cute trivia about the, the woman who played Alex's mom. She went to a restaurant at one point and there was like a sandwich or something named after Alex's character and she told the server that they told the owner and the owner was like okay I want to come out and like say hi to this lady and the owner comes out and it was the kid who played Alex and they like hadn't seen each other since they filmed the movie <gasps> it's just so cute oh that's really cute Yeah, I love the tension that's built up in this scene because you see everybody playing in the water, everyone having a good time. Brody's on the beach kind of like looking out, watching, letting the camera tell a lot of the story. So a lot of the shots that you see with Brody... Like, even the shot that you see where Brody is sitting and his wife is talking to some of the islanders, Brody is physically separated from everybody. 
also they have that split focus shot that I think is really interesting because all these people are coming up to him asking him for like the most mundane favors as a sheriff and he's still trying to watch the water and be aware of what's happening. I like when the old man comes up to ask him something and he makes fun of his hat. (laughs) You get the iconic, I think they call it a Zolly shot. The scene they have when the shark attack happens and you like zoom in on Brody's face, you get that really cool distortion-y shot. Okay. Which is interesting because that was actually something that that Hitchcock did in Vertigo. If you're not familiar, what they do is they have the camera on a dolly, which is like a track on the ground. And what they'll do is they will either pull back on the dolly and zoom in or they'll push the dolly forward and zoom out. So you get this effect where the face stays the same size, but the background is distorted. Okay. I do really like that shot. Yeah, it's a really cool shot. And it works well to get this immediate panic that you know Brody is feeling because everybody is in the water. You see the boy, Alex, who is on his yellow raft. And then you just, you see a little bit of fins. You see him scream and flip and then blood, just blood. So much blood. I didn't care as much about Alex as I did that that guy's dog definitely got eaten by a shark and nobody cared. Oh yeah. The dog is like fetching the stick and right before Alex is attacked, you just see the stick floating there and this poor guy is calling for his dog. I feel bad because now his dog death is going to be overshadowed by this kid and he's going to be like, I guess I can't be sad about my dog. I mean, he could be privately sad about his dog. You can't have a little doggy funeral. I'll be like, Alex is dead, sir. I feel like if that happened to me, I would be both traumatized by my dog dying and watching a like 10 year old be brutally killed in the ocean. I guess so. Listen, maybe was I not scared of this because I'm already terrified of like sea creatures. So I don't want to get in the ocean. This will never happen to me. Yeah, I'm like this could literally never happen. I first of all live in Ohio. The ocean is so far away. I'm not going to get in it if I even like go to the ocean. You wouldn't even put your feet in it? I would stay where I could be like standing and escape really, really easily. Yeah. I'm not going out where I would have to because I don't know how to swim. So oh, well, that <laughs> if I do go out, I'm going to die. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so everybody rushes back into shore. This is when Brody, because he runs forward, but he's still so afraid of the water that he won't touch it. So so you see him kind of running back and forth, just kind of waving at people to, to get in. Everyone does. And Alex's mom runs out and she's like, where's my little boy? Where Where is he? And then the bloody raft floats to shore. This part is really sad. That, that woman did a really good job as a hysterical mother. Yeah. So this is something that the mayor can no longer uh, ignore. So they're going to put a bounty out on the shark. So $3,000 to catch this shark. I'll look up what $3,000 was. It is $15,000 today. Okay. I figured that would be a question, so I already looked it up. Yeah, thank you. I love knowing amounts. Once again, they do a good job of showing how Brody still doesn't really feel like he's a part of the council because when they come into the room to talk about it, he's like sitting on a desk and they have to tell him like, no, you're up here with us. Brody's like, yeah, of course we're going to close the beaches. And the mayor's like, uh-uh, no, no, 24 hours. They're, they're only going to be closed for 24 hours. And then Quint's like, time for my entrance. It's not even the noise. It's just the seeing it that makes me cringe. That feeling. Ugh. 
Gross. I know when they remastered it, they also remastered the sound. Both the times I watched it, I had to like cover my ears because it hurt my ears. And I was like, this is not usually what they do in movies. Like usually you get the feel without it hurting your ears. Yeah, it was very high pitched. He's pretty much just like, I'll catch it for you, but I'm not going to risk my neck for $3,000. I need ten, which is $50,000 today. And this speech is fun because there are a couple lines in it that... There was a local that Steven Spielberg loved when they go out to the boat that's uh, abandoned and they find the head. It was actually, they cast a local and they were they liked the local so much they made uh, him be the, uh, the victim. The decapitated head? His name was Ben Gardner. When Hooper first gets to town, he helps him out of his boat. He was pretty colorful, and I guess he he said a bunch of the stuff that they actually ended up liking so much that they put into Quint's monologue in the beginning. So the whole thing that, um... I'll catch this bird for you, but it ain't gonna be easy. It's bad fish. It's not like going down the pond chasing bluegills or tommy cards. He was like an actual fisherman? Yeah, yeah, he was a local to Martha's Vineyard. Okay, like was he just a crazy man? They let a bunch of the locals be in the movie to add flavor and color, and Steven Spielberg just got along with him so well that they like made him like one of the prominent extras. That's fun. Steven Spielberg sounds like a nice guy. Yeah, Steven Spielberg, I'm pretty sure it was a joke, talked about how he liked Ben Gardner so much that he was like, if I couldn't get anybody for Quint that I liked, I would have considered him. I think the casting for Quint is really good though, but I heard they did have a lot of like tension because he was nice when he wasn't drinking, but he was drinking a lot. They were only supposed to film for I think like 55 days, but because of technical difficulties with filming on the ocean, with filming with the animatronic shark, they filmed for 159 days. Honestly, 55 days for this movie seems really ambitious. Well, and I guess a lot of the problems were that they filmed this movie at Martha's Vineyard. This was the first feature length film that ever got filmed there. There were active people in the area. They would set up a shot for the orca, and then a sailboat would come into the shot, and it would take them an hour to get out of the shot. So they'd have days where they just didn't get to film anything. Okay, that's fair. I guess you you can't really shut down the entire place. The reason they chose Martha's Vineyard was because, not only just because it was pretty, but mostly because it's got a sandy bottom for a long time. So, like, you could go out a really long way and there would still be sand underneath. And that was the way they could get the animatronic shark to work better and, like, turn and move it. Well, and that seems safer for everyone, too. Yeah. But, yeah, just to round out Quinn's speech. You want to stay alive and ante up? You want to play it cheap? Be on welfare the whole winter. $10,000 for me by myself. For that, you get the head, the tail, the whole damn thing. And I think the reverence he gets, because everyone gets really quiet, I think shows you that, yeah, he is expensive, but he, he'd probably definitely get the job done. Yeah, no one does really, like, step up and say, no, he can't do it, this guy's full of shit. They're like, huh, you know, we didn't really think about that. But the mayor is cheap, so they decide to close the beaches for 24 hours. In that time, Brody does a little bit of shark research. His wife comes out, and they're kind of talking back and forth. Their boys are outside playing, and one of them is in the boat that's, like, attached to their dock, and Brody starts freaking out, and his wife's like, they'll be 
fine. And then she sees a picture in his book where a shark has attacked a boat. And she's like, get out of the boat right now. (laughs) I did really like that part. I like the woman who plays his wife. I think she was really funny. She's so funny. I saw an interview where she was sad that they got rid of the element that her character has where she's having an affair with Hooper because she really wanted to make out with Richard Dreyfuss. Don't we all? He was hot. Oh, he was hot. He was really funny in this movie too. Oh, and so charismatic. I think he was definitely my favorite character. Yeah, I love Hooper. He's just great. The first attempt to catch the shark, which is done by these two islanders who get a long chain. They put a hook on it. They put a roast on the end of this hook and throw it into the water for the shark. plan was insane. They get a little bit of a nibble. And by that, the uh, shark uh, shows up, grabs the roast, tears half of the dock away from the shore. One of the guys gets dragged out to sea and then has to swim for his life before the shark eats him. And I think it's really really well done because they use the dock as a stand-in. Obviously, the shark is attached to the dock. So you see the dock stop and then turn around and come at him. And then his friend's like, swim, Charlie. Take my word for it. Don't look back. Swim, Charlie, swim. Oh my God. If you look back, you're going to get chomped. Uh, And he only makes it back. What a bunch of buffoons. Why did they think that plan would work? I mean, I guess it does if they're trying to lure the shark. But what was their end game? I think the point is they're trying to show you that although this island has a lot of fishermen, none of them are experienced in catching sharks. Because we go right from this scene to it's the morning at the dock. Every buffoon of a fisherman is there ready to catch this shark. And Brody is about to have a heart attack. Oh, and this is when Hooper does finally show up. And he's like, uh, you're going to have a lot of dead fishermen if you let these idiots go out there. Yeah, Hooper shows up because at the meeting they had before with the reward money, Brody had said that they had contacted the oceanographic research society something like that so that is where hooper is from he's from the mainland he is a shark specialist he gets to the island right as all these fishermen are trying to lead to go catch the shark there's a guy that's walking past that has dynamite yeah and you can tell that he's really the only one who knows what he's doing with these like actual sea creatures especially when they catch the tiger shark and they're all like this is it and he's like that shark's way too small guys that's that's a tiger shark they're like what the hell's a tiger shark oh what (laughs) they're idiots brody is very happy to see hooper who goes and introduces himself then brody takes him to look at the remains of chrissy they pull out chrissy's remains and she's like in a tiny tub (laughs) they're like here you go Poor girl. I couldn't tell if he was freaked out by their remains or he was just very businesslike because he he pulls back the sheet and then goes, oh, can I have a glass of water? I think he was honestly probably trying not to throw up because I can't imagine how that smelled. Probably really bad. Although it was refrigerated. I'm assuming really, really so bad. Maybe not. Well, it was already on the beach before they refrigerated it. So yeah, probably pretty bad. Hooper essentially just says, hey, yeah, there's no fucking way this was a boat this was definitely a shark attack bones don't leave teeth marks brody's like let's go and let the mayor know hooper and brody get back to the docks and the fishermen as a group and there's like 20 of them have worked together to catch this tiger shark one of the really funny little little uh, elements they added to the shark is that there is a arrow stuck through it (laughs) like someone was out there 
with the bow and arrow. What is wrong with these guys? Brody goes, he's so happy because he thinks this is a shark. He goes to Bond. He's like, we've caught it. Yay. And at the same time, Hooper's like, ah. No, he's measuring the mouth. He's like, this is, he's having an argument with the locals. He's like, yeah, this is a shark. Yeah, it eats things. It's not big enough. And they're just like, how would you know? Blah, 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 blah. This part's actually hilarious because he's like, well, let me just cut it open right here on the dock. And they're like, uh, no. He's like, these guys are being such sticklers about this. I'm just trying to cut open this shark and they won't let me. The reason they want to cut the stomach open is that apparently sharks have slow digestive systems. So whatever it ate in the last, I think like 24 hours, it'll still be in the stomach. But the mayor points out, we're not going to fucking cut the shark open and then have the little the little Alex come out of the stomach. Definitely on the people's side saying no, at least not right there. Take it somewhere and then do it. But he was like, I'm going to cut it open right here on the dock. Slow down, buddy. Hooper is very clinical and Quint is very emotion based, which makes sense because most people would be like, let's not see the remains of an eaten child wash on the pier but he's like no let's cut let's cut the belly open yeah he's trying to prove a point and i don't think he was thinking clearly he's like oh shit yeah there would be a mangled up dead body in there the mayor is he has a good point but he's also gaslighting them because they don't take the shark away to cut its stomach open they put it somewhere else the mayor just wants to be like yes of course this is the shark let's move on it's fourth of july tomorrow we got bigger fish to fry Alex's mom shows up and she's in black. She's mourning and she slaps Brody and she is pissed, of course, because this part's kind of badass. I just found out that a girl got killed here last week. And you knew it. You knew there was a shark out there. You knew it was dangerous. But you let people go anyway and brody's like ah she's fucking right and i think this is a good turning point for him because he does start to take a more proactive role not just listening to the mayor and letting the mayor steamroll him finally finally indeed it's dinner time. There's a cute scene between Brody and his son where his son is mimicking him because Brody is stressed out and he looks over and then they start making faces at each other. It's really cute. Maybe that's what I want. Maybe I wanted more with like the family because I do really like them. It was really cute watching him spend time with his family. Yeah, I like all of them. I like him with his son because he seems like a really good dad. I like him with his wife because they have a really cute relationship. I don't know. I wanted something. I can't pinpoint it. And then Hooper shows up. He shows up with both white and red wine because he doesn't know what Brody would prefer. So that's nice. Hooper is very funny because Brody is so stressed out. He didn't eat his dinner. So Hooper just grabs his plate and like, can I eat this? It's like, is anyone eating this? They're like, I, I guess not. Yeah, Hooper and Ellen, they have some fun back and forth. Hooper talks about why he likes sharks. He talks about his past. The whole time that Hooper is talking about like, this is why I like sharks. Because when I was little, a shark attacked my boat and I just thought it was really cool cool with a nerd brody opens the red wine and then just pours himself a full pint glass of red wine it's very funny i mean after the week he's been having he deserves it we also hear from ellen that brody has a fear of water yeah i like that they establish brody's fear of water without you know having to spend like five minutes talking about it he's afraid of water everyone has fears let's move on i like it 
Hooper's like, do you want to like go cut that shark open? And Brody's like, yeah. And his wife's like, can you go do that? And he's like, I can do anything. I'm the chief of police. No, I'm pretty sure they say like, I think this is illegal. And he's just like, I don't care anymore. The alcohol is helping him get a backbone. Probably not the best time to do autopsies on sharks when you're drunk though. They cut the shark open. They discover it's not the shark. Hooper's like, well, the problem here, Brody, is you still got a shark out there. But you know, that shark is probably a night feeder. Let's go find it. Brody's like, no, I don't want to. But then he does it. I mean, at this point, he's got to. I think once he talked to Alex's mom, he's probably like, well, shit, now I gotta do something because the little boy's dead and it's my fault. He does give a little bit of pushback, but in the end, he does get on the boat with Hooper. As they're searching for the shark, they come across this abandoned boat. And so Hooper puts on his, like, his wetsuit and gets in the water. He dives under the water, finds a shark tooth in the boat where there's a hole and he's like, oh no. And then the decapitated head of Ben Gardner shows up in that hole. That part did freak me out. Yeah, he panics, drops the tooth, and swims back up. And he's like, fuck, you got a great fucking white in this water. Are those the meanest sharks? I think they're cute. They're very big. Big sharks want to eat a lot of things, so. That's true. If he's that big, he's probably very hungry. They tell the mayor the next day, day before the 4th. The mayor just will not listen to them. They're talking right in front of the billboard to Amity. The reason that they're there, I feel like, is I think the mayor called Brody because instead of dealing with a shark, he's like, deal with these kids. 12-year-olds who vandalized the sign. His priorities are, are not in the right place at all. Cooper's got a great line where he says, What we are dealing with here is a perfect engine, uh, an eating machine. It's really a miracle of evolution. All this machine does is swim and eat and make little sharks. And that's all. Now, why don't you take a long, close look at this sign? Those proportions are correct. Because someone has drawn a shark fin following the girl that's on the sign. And then they wrote, help a shark coming from her mouth. It's pretty funny. Oh man. All right. You're right. I need to rewatch this movie. The way they frame it up is really good because it's a good conflict between the three of them. And I like the way the camera eventually moves so that the billboard's revealed. But I also really like this for Hooper as a character. It's no longer him just there. You know, he got called there to, to say if it was a shark attack or not. He's now invested in the town. He's like, you have to shut down the beaches. He's on, he's on Brody's side. This isn't just about me anymore. This is about the town. I'm here to help. Yeah, that's kind of interesting too, though, because they're both the outsiders from this town, but they're really the only ones at this point who seem to care about the town and don't want the townspeople to get murdered by a shark. Yeah, and I think it is just because Brody and Vaughn have a different view of survival. Brody is worried about the shark, and Vaughn is really worried about the fact that if they don't have tourists this summer, the town is not going to survive the winter. If your economy is that close to crumbling, maybe you shouldn't be a town. Not to bring up the quarantine but do it do you remember when they shut everything down last year and like almost all the businesses went into panic mode because none of them had fucking prepared for if something happened like this uh i don't remember when everything was shut down when when was this did i miss it they shut down like a couple (laughs) things i've been working the entire time And then we get a bunch of shots of all the tourists arriving and oh my gosh, it's just going to lead to disaster. Oh, and I love this because as an audience member, you know only bad things are going to happen, but they keep showing you more and more people showing up. Happy 4th of July! Instead of closing the beaches, they're just gonna have a whole bunch of, like, police officers on boats and hoopers out there. They're just 
they're essentially just trying to keep the shark away from the swimmers because when you swim, you look like a fish in distress, which means a shark wants to munch you. Makes sense. You want to hear a fun fact? Yeah. The guy who is there, like like a news reporter, he is the author, Peter Benchley. Wow. That's fun. I'm very happy for him. That was nice of them to give him a cameo. Yeah. Oh, and one of the councilmen, he is the uh, writer of the script. They just put everyone in this movie. Yeah. Carl Gottlieb? Gottlieb? It's gotta be Gottlieb. He's also in it. So that's fun. Carl was cast before he was asked to write the... So the way that the script was written, Peter Benchley did the first adaptation and then Steven Spielberg also um, kind of like adapted it a little bit. And then they gave it to Carl who like finished off the script. Okay. I was about to say, did they cast him? And then they were like, oh shit, we need a script. Hey, you, you want to write it for us? Kind of. Cause he was both an actor and like a writer and there is an uncredited writer on it. I don't remember if they said, cause I watched a making of documentary. I can't remember if they said who it was, but it was a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright who also worked on the script, but he didn't want to be credited. Cause he knew how successful it would be and he didn't want to live that life of fame um there was a reason but i can't remember what it was or he thought it'd be trash probably because it's essentially a creature feature so at the same time that the mayor (laughs) is saying but as you see it's a beautiful day the beaches are open and the people are having a wonderful time amity as you know means friendship that's the one true thing he said out of all those things. Oh, oh, before he gives this interview, he goes up to this older couple that are sitting on the beach and he essentially guilts them into going to into the water because nobody wants to go in the water. Yeah, why did all these tourists show up to not swim? They just got there and they saw no one else was in the water and they were like, oh, maybe we're not allowed in. I think that's what it was. I think when nobody else was in the water, I think they were kind of suspicious. Like, oh, we can't be the first ones in the water. It's like being the first person on the dance floor it's just a yes the old couple get up and grab their grandkids hands and they go into the water and i'm like oh like oh well they're all gonna die now hope the mayor feels bad and then everybody runs into the water oh god and i can't do anything to stop them Oh, there's a great shot where they go be- they go to the like the police officers on the boats and you see the deputy and the shot is framed in a way that you're looking at the deputy um, as he's talking to his walkie and behind him you see the beach and then you just see a fin in the water go past. Oh no, what could that be? A shark? This fin just goes past these girls and then somebody sees it and goes, shark! And I'm surprised no one died in the trample. Just the speed in which... They go to shore. Oh, also, before the shark, the shark was sighted, Brody's kids, his older kid, tried to go in the water with his friends. And he was like, hey, I really don't want you to go in the the main ocean. Will you go in, like, the side ocean over here? He's like, okay, dad, I guess. Yeah, we go in the little pond. All the swimmers come in. It is discovered that it was two kids playing a prank, which is really funny because when they turn around, the one kid points and goes, he made me do it. It's Draco Malfoy pretending to be a Dementor, that little shit. Little shit. But this is a psych out because at the same time they're pulling these boys in and everyone is relieved that there's not a real shark. 
someone down the way starts screaming shark in the pond bruce is very smart and so he is like all those people are going to shore i'm not gonna go that way there's some people out here i can munch so it must not have been like an actual pond if the shark still fits in it no because i think it's just like a it's attached to the ocean i don't i don't understand how water things work but i think the idea is that normally a shark probably wouldn't go in there or there's so many people who were in the water that a shark would probably be more likely to go towards the bigger crowd yeah this shark is like absurdly smart that's why it deserved to win no because even the shark has flaw and that flaw is not knowing when to stop you got one meal you got to eat quint time to move on i think the flaw is being made of meat because you can explode meat (laughs) uh correct um Yeah, so the shark goes in the pond, goes after Brody's kid slash friends and another man who was out there. Luckily, the shark only gets the one guy. Brody's son is okay, but he's in shock, so they have to take him to the hospital. The scene where Brody's son is on the sailboat with his friends. Did you read or see the uncut version of this scene? No. So the scene got cut down because Steven Spielberg said it was too trashy. What was going to happen was the shark was going to grab that guy essentially they were both going to be above the water the guy was going to be spewing blood out of his mouth and going towards the son who would then grab him and then let him go as they fell into the water i like it i think we should have left it in i really love the shot from above though where you see the shadow of the shark under the water really fucking cool so we gotta go to the hospital because there was another shark attack. Shocking. Again, who could have guessed it? At least it was only one person. It could have been much worse. Yeah, that's true. This seems really interesting for Brody's character because this is the first time Brody says, uh, yeah, take take him home. And she's like, to New York? And he goes, no, here. So he's- To our home. He feels that this island is now his home, which is good. That's good for his character. He's starting to grow and change and kind of accept his role in this community. And he pretty much just takes the contract for Quint and makes the mayor sign it because the mayor's in shock. The mayor, my kids were on the beach. Yeah, you can finally see what everyone else has seen. At least the mayor now is sidestepped. He's inept. He's pushed aside. Brody is taking control. He's like, I'm not going to let you take control anymore. We're hiring Quint. He's going to fucking kill this shark. And we won't have to pay him. Don't worry. Wink, wink. Uh, oh. <laughs> Brody goes to give Quint the contract. Uh, Hooper comes with him. Hooper is super pumped to be in a place with a bunch of shark skeletons, I guess. He looks so happy. I mean, that's his thing. A lot of heads butting between Hooper and Quint because they are very, very opposites. Well, I think that was a lot of the actors, too, because I read they did not get along. It works really well because then that scene where they're comparing scars shows you how they're growing together. Like, they're starting to respect each other. You know what would have made that scene even better? better what if they kissed <gasps> they should have they should have kissed if it was nowadays they might have kissed because that's perfect because it's always opposites attracting in romance movies so they hate each other at first and then they love each other let's remake jaws we'll remake jaws as a romantic comedy that sounds great it was the part where they like put their legs over top of each other like are they boyfriends <laughs> now what are they doing Quinn's on board. Brody does another good job of standing his ground and essentially being like, we're coming with you. Quint relents. They get the boat ready to go. There's some more bickering, which is funny. Quint sings Farewell in a Do song. Farewell and a do to you fair Spanish ladies. Farewell and a do you ladies of Spain. For we've received orders for to sail back to Boston. 
And so never more shall we see you again. And it's great because that's a good motif for anytime something is about to die, they kind of sing the song. Wife says goodbye to Brody. They're cute. Quint shouts this limerick at her to make her uncomfortable and she kind of like runs off. And then we're on the boat. Should we go to an aquarium? I want to see a big shark. We could go to an aquarium. I'm terrified of fish. I was like, hold on a second. (laughs) Yeah, this is a bad plan. Remember when we did go to an aquarium in like seventh grade? I had to close my eyes and Katie like guided me through it. Yeah, I was very scared. We could just watch Finding Nemo. (gasps) I love Finding Nemo. Or Finding Dory because that's more aquarium based. Did you know that five years ago on this day you and I went to go see Finding Dory? That's crazy. (laughs) It was on my Facebook memories. Oh, okay. I was like, how did you know that? I'm insane. <laughs> yeah, so we're on the boat and everyone's kind of settled into a role, although Brody um is definitely the fish out of water in this situation. Uh, <laughs> this movie's about fish. They have Brody chumming the water, so essentially just throwing in dead fish trying to get the shark to come out. Quint is kind of sitting at the reel, waiting to see if they get a bite. Hooper is steering the ship. I think they do a really good job with the compressed air, not only foreshadowing that it's going to be a big part of the end of the movie, but making it very natural to the story. The second I saw that, I went, oh no, they're going to explode the shark. And they do a really good job of letting you track where it is at all times. So at the end, when he has it, he throws it into the shark's mouth. You've already seen it there. So it's not just like we introduce it once and then it comes back. It's constantly a part of what's happening on the boat. Hooper asks for Brody to grab him something i can't remember what it is and brody who is unlearned in the boat ways accidentally pulls the wrong knot and the compressed air starts rolling and hooper gets very mad at him because he's like if these these could blow up so you gotta fucking be careful honestly i'd be mad too if that's how i went out while i was hunting a shark and i just exploded accidentally be very annoying hooper goes to like get back in his position to steer the boat and quinn is like looks at brody and goes uh, just just ask me next time and I'll tell you which thing to pull. Because <laughs> he agrees with Cooper, but he can't he can't say anything about it because he's too proud. Well, he also probably doesn't want to blow up too. Yeah, and then we get our first bite, which is the reel starts to click and they all work together. They clearly have caught something big. It's definitely the shark. Quint has the reel. Hooper's steering the boat. Brody is doing whatever they tell him to. <laughs> The shark ends up biting through the piano wire, which is what Quint uses for the the fishing wire. The shark is very, very smart. It even freaks Quint out a little bit because he's like, oh my god, he went under the boat! Oh god, I just remember the scene being so chaotic. Do they harpoon him at one point? Is this where they're like throwing harpoons at the shark or like shooting him? Well, that was the first time they got it, but he escaped. And so they go, okay, we've got to wait to get him back up. So like some time has passed. Oh, is this where they've got the kegs? Yeah, Quint tells Brody like, hey, go chum the water. And, and Brody goes... Make Hooper do it. I'm busy. (laughs) Hooper's driving the boat. You go fucking do it. I did like their bickering. I think my favorite part of the movie is when they're on the boat. I got so bored during all the parts on land and then they were on the boat. And I was like, okay, this is kind of fun. And I love that Brody, he has gotten more confident and he's so annoyed by the fact he has to chum the water. He takes the bucket and he's just like, make me chum the water. And as he throws some of the chum into the water, the shark just comes out and Brody like, just stand still backs into the back part of the ship um, where the cabin is and he kind of looks at Quint and goes you're gonna need a bigger boat
Oh man, it's the line. The classic line. The most quoted thing from this whole movie. Something really interesting about this movie, and I think about Steven Spielberg as a director, is that he does do a very good job in prepping his movies, but he's very open to improv. So there are a lot of lines in this movie that were improvised by the actors. That That's fun. Maybe made it feel more authentic. And the one thing I find really interesting about this movie is most of the stuff that you see that's on the boat where they're closer up was actually done with a steady cam, So it was handheld. So when there was a crew member just standing on the boat because they were having a really hard time getting the shot and getting what they wanted. And I can't remember which of the camera guys or if it was the cinematographer himself but they were essentially just like hey I can counterbalance the waves much better with like my knees and my body than we can just setting the camera up so a lot of these shots were done which is impressive because if you watch it you wouldn't suspect that they're very like for the most part besides the boat going up and down are very still yeah there are some steady cam shots that I'm thinking of now that they're literally just standing and like filming to get that like I guess reality TV kind of feel. It's way more noticeable than this when they're on a fucking boat. That's insane. They got some steady hands. It's very impressive. They should have been surgeons instead of cameramen. <laughs> um, yeah, and so chaos kind of happens once they see the shark. Quint goes immediately to get the, uh, the dart thing for the barrels or whatever it is. At the same time, Hooper's like, quick, Brody, go out on the end. I need to take a picture. And he's like, I'm not fucking going on the end. It's very funny. Yeah, he's like, I need it for the... <laughs> I need something in the foreground to get the size. Yeah, like a size comparison. He's like, no. Go out there. Like, sorry, I think we can just take the picture. We can tell how big a shark is. You do get this very high energy scene where they're working together to steer the boat and get the barrel tied so that they can they can shoot the shark with it because the idea is that essentially they're going to tether a, like a barrel full of air to the shark so it's harder for him to stay under the water because the barrel is going to be pulling him, which seems pretty smart. It's, yeah, and then at least you can like keep track of where the shark is because you got a big yellow barrel attached to him. I think the music for this scene is really good. It's got this high energy like adventure, like they're winning kind of music. And then the shark goes under the water with the barrel and it just disappears. And then the music just goes womp womp. <laughs> essentially <laughs> and then we get to one of my favorite scenes and that is the bonding scene these guys are weird i like the scene a lot too though oh and this scene is such a great representation of the three of them really coming together because if you watch the way it is shot all three of them are very apart from each other quint and hooper on different sides of the table brody is like standing but away from the table and then as the scene progresses i mean quint and hooper literally end up on top of each other and they're having a blast and then the scene like ultimately ends with all three of them sitting at the table and singing and it's great it's a great representation of that separation being taken away and then becoming a team do you think it's because they're comparing a bunch of scars and they're like oh god we're probably all gonna die together i guess we should just kind of start bonding right now yeah i suppose they start comparing scars back and well it's mostly hooper and quint they're comparing their scars and they're trash that is a very fun scene i think this scene is definitely my favorite one they go from really funny to doing quint's speech which is very serious 
to back to kind of the fun. Sharks caused D-Day. And then they ate all my friends. They shot a torpedo at me. This man's insane. So Quint gets really serious because they're all having a blast comparing scars. And then Brody asks about a scar on his arm. You see his demeanor change. It's really, really well done. Hooper is laughing until Quint says, I was on the SS Indianapolis. And Cooper stops and goes, you were on the Indianapolis? And it's great because as a shark expert, of course, he was know the story but Brody doesn't the monologue is just so well done Robert Shaw kills this monologue it's he he's brilliant it's so good his story is essentially that in World War II his ship was responsible for transporting the Hiroshima bomb to the plane and it was a secret mission so no one knew about it and on their way back from delivering the bomb a Japanese submarine sent two torpedoes into the boat and the boat sank 1,100 men went into the water. Vessel went down in 12 minutes. Waiting to get rescued, but they would definitely have to wait because the boat wasn't able to get out a distress signal and no one even knew about their mission. Essentially, he gives this very, very long, really upsetting speech about how 1,100 men were in the water alive and over the course of a week, the sharks came. Shark comes the nearest man that many start pounding and hollering and screaming. Sometimes the shark go away. Sometimes he wouldn't go away. And by the time someone came to get them. So 1,100 men went in the war. 316 men come out. The sharks took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Oof, that's a lot of, a lot of food for that shark. It makes sense for him to give this monologue now because he's bonded with these men. So I think he is willing to trust them. It really explains to you why he has spent his whole life hunting sharks. Yeah, I guess without this backstory, he would have seemed... He would have just seemed like a crazy old man, but this gives him yeah, context. Yeah, crazy fisherman. Like, he's still a crazy, flawed fisherman, but there's a reason for it. I don't know. In the line, he says where the worst part about it was... A big fat PBY comes down and starts to pick us up. You know, that was the time I was most frightened, waiting for my turn. I'll never put on a life jacket again. Oh, God. Yeah, that's awful. Because you're, like, so close to being out of there. The fucking part where he talks about how, um, at, at one point during during the time he bumped into one of his friends, and he thought that his friend was asleep, but when he went over to, like, wake him up, he realized that he wasn't there from the stomach down. Ugh. God. It's a really good speech. You know who we should have been going after? The U.S. military. Don't give me a D-Day atomic bomb <laughs> propaganda film and then get mad at a shark. Trauma. Strange. He should go to therapy. Well, he can't anymore. Yeah, he does also make a big point in the speech that he says, I'll never wear a life jacket again. Because the life jacket was the only thing that saved him? He would rather die than go through that experience again. One time, one of my mom's friends drove me home from work. No. And I was like, Eddie, why aren't you wearing a seatbelt? And he was like, I was in a car crash once. Seatbelt's the only thing that saved me. I don't wear them anymore. Um, I was like, oh my God, are you all right? (laughs) Well, fuck. Love Eddie. He's insane. Quint finishes his his monologue and the men are all kind of staring at each other and then you hear the sound of a wail and then they all start together singing the uh, farewell ye Spanish maiden song. They're all gonna die. And then it cuts from there to them all at the table singing. Show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. 
And you want to know that scene works so well with them singing that song? Why? Because they would like to go home? They were only supposed to film it for like a month and a half and they ended up filming it for five months. So they were like, yeah, that scene really worked because we all wanted to go home. So did the crew. (laughs) We were also fucking sick of each other. We just want to go home. Steven Spielberg said that they were allowed to go off the island. They had Sundays off, I think is what he said. So like everyone would go to the to the mainland except he never left because he said i knew that if i left that island i'd never go back (laughs) oh my god that's fair yeah and so while they're singing their fun song and it's great it's jovial they're all having a blast brucey comes up and just starts running his head into the boat you know what i just realized speaking of finding nemo that's why that shark's named bruce that's fun that is very fun i think steven spielberg had a really mean name for it but i can't remember what it was big dumb shark big dumb shark bitch (laughs) Back in action, time to to try to take this shark out because Brucey's back. Tries to destroy the fuck out of the boat. He does a pretty good job. The boat starts leaking, the power's going out. Quint takes his gun out and starts like firing into the water and Hooper's like, what the fuck are you doing? That's not gonna do anything. That's just gonna make him angrier. And then he disappears again. Did you see the shooting star? Aw, no. Beautiful. They should make a wish. I wish the shark wouldn't eat me. Cause So there's two in the movie. There's one where you're like looking at Brody and you see one come from behind him. It cuts to a wider shot and you see another shooting star. But it seems like the first one was a very happy, happy coincidence. And it actually happened while they were filming. And then the second one was fake. Oh, I wonder if the second one that was fake was already planned. And the first one just happened to get caught on camera. I think so. Okay, that makes sense. Thing where I guess Steven Spielberg loves to put shooting stars in his films. What an optimist guy. That's beautiful. The shark disappears this morning, and while they're all working on the boat, guess who comes back? Who? Is it Bruce? Eminem. Eminem? Guess who's back? Back again. <laughs> no, yeah, Bruce comes back, sorry. Brody goes in to call the Coast Guard because he's like, fuck this, we, we need help. Quint is so hard-headed and wants to be the one who kills the shark so bad. He just takes a bat, very shining style, and just beats the shit out of this radio. And Brody's like, what the fuck? That's how I reacted too. Like, buddy, you need some help. Yeah, so ultimately, uh, Quint's, like, hard-headedness and and his stubbornness is what really gets him killed. He dies? I know, surprise, right? We've said it a lot. He's definitely done for they get him with some more barrels they hit him once they hit him twice so now he's got three barrels attached to him and quinn's like all right there's no way he can go underwater i've never seen a shark die i just did it what the fuck (laughs) as hooper and quint are doing the barrels goddamn brody's just got a little hand pistol like shooting at the shark they should have prepared for this which makes me wonder are sharks really that thick skinned are they like honey badgers if i shoot a honey badger is it just gonna bounce off of it yeah honey badgers have almost like bulletproof skin fuck yeah honey badger don't care I don't know a lot about sharks. They look like they would be hard to murder. They get them with some more barrels. Uh, they shoot them with a handgun. They attempt to tie the barrel ropes to the boat so they can pull Bruce into the shallows. But unfortunately, I guess the orca is old and the things that they tied it to on the boat, they come off. Then the shark disappears again, and they're all flabbergasted because they're like, fuck this. Why does he keep doing this? Quint's just like, all right, I'm going to take us into the shallows. And they're all like, yay. But Quint just 
full throttles it, even though they tell him to stop, and the engine explodes. Oh, this man. Yeah, he, uh, screwed him. As they're going back to the shallows and Quint is, like, just flooring it, you see the barrels, like, chasing behind them. I'm like, this shark is never gonna give up, man. It's kind of comical, just the way it looks. It's kind of silly. It's like an iceberg. You only see the tip, but you don't see the really dangerous part. Like a penis. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Yep. Yeah. I do like, though, as they're full throttling it. Because they're yelling at Quint. They're like, what are you doing? And he starts singing the farewell song. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> he is ready to go down with this fucking ship. He's like, it's a suicide mission now, boys. <laughs> um, yeah, the engines blow. Quint goes in and gets life jackets for Hooper and Brody, but not for himself. He's wearing his old Arby jacket. He's so ready to go down with the boat. I mean, he just said, I'm not wearing a damn life jacket. Kill me on this boat. The only way they have to defeat the shark is to put Hooper in his shark cage with a dart of poison, put him in the water, and hope for the best. All of their plans are insanely bad. Last resort kind of plans. I don't think their plan in bringing the shark in is bad. I think if Bruce hadn't been so big, that they probably could have dragged him into shore, but he's a he's a big 25-footer. Yeah, he's a big boy. He's a big boy. Yeah, so Hooper goes into the cage. I think all the underwater stuff is really well done. Did you notice that that is not Richard Dreyfus in the cage? What? Who was it? Just some man in a scuba suit? So most of the close-up scenes are actually of a, a stuntman. Okay. So they did use real sharks in the movie, and this is a good example of when they actually used a real shark. Interspersed with cuts of the the animatronic shark. So anytime the shark hits the cage with its nose, that's obviously the fake shark. But you do see a lot of scenes of a shark like swimming around. And what they did is they had a team in Australia that filmed great whites in the wild they actually like hired this couple that had worked with filming sharks underwater to get the scale because they wanted the real shark to look as big as the animatronic they made the cage smaller and they put a little person in it okay that's a lot to process it was definitely a different time for sure Uh. um i don't know how much of that footage they actually use if you watch the making of documentary the couple that filmed it they were talking about how like steven spielberg ignoring the fact that this is kind of weird the little person he cast to do this was just somebody who really wanted to be in a film but wasn't anybody with diving experience or shark experience to the point of where this couple they were just like, yeah, it was it was really hard to work with him because he was so afraid. Yeah, no shit. So I think they have a couple scenes where he's in the cage, but the shark is swimming very far away. The main shot they used from the real shark is, so the shark attacks Hooper a bunch, but he creates a hole in the cage. Hooper dives down to the bottom, get away. And then it cuts to the scene where you see the shark. It looks like he's like ripping the cage apart, but he's like on top of the cage. Mm-hmm. That was a real shark. And what happened was they were just lucky. A shark had just happened to be swimming really close to the cage. The shark ended up being fine, but he got himself tangled in the ropes in the line above the cage. And so was just freaking out until the cage like came off and he took it all the way to the bottom. Oh shit. Okay. I mean, that worked out really well to get that footage. That is the reason Hooper survives in the movie because they didn't have anyone in the cage when that happened. So they had to rewrite it that Hooper got himself out of the cage. I mean, I'm glad they did. I agree. It worked out really well. Was it written that he was supposed to die in the cage? Yeah, I think so, because he does in the book. Okay. 
Yeah, there's a lot that I'm learning right now. What kind of dedication is that, though, if you're just some guy and you're like, I really want to be in a movie, and they're like, okay, we're going to put you in this, this cage, and then a shark's going to attack Well, and you. he knew that's what he was signing up for. That's insane. And he did it anyways. because That's so much funnier <laughs> so... that he knew. I thought it was just some guy, and he's like, yeah, I'd love to be in your movie. And they're like, all right, man, here's what's going to happen. Yeah, they explain, like, hey, we're trying to make the size of the shark look bigger, so we're having a smaller cage, so we need a smaller actor to go inside. Can't use a child so yeah i guess if he's a consenting adult fine that's insane he was just really nice so steven spielberg was like yeah i just really liked him so i cast him he's like i kind of regret that (laughs) (laughs) i mean i guess he was fine gets out he swims to the bottom it actually makes sense because sharks don't normally dive to the bottom because they're ambush predators so they'd much rather attack you at the surface they need the higher ground that's also why when you look at a shark they're two different colors the top of them will be dark and the bottom will be light because if you're looking at them on the surface of the ocean, it's harder for you to see them because they're dark, so they blend in with the water. But if you're looking underneath them, it's lighter, so it blends in with like the water coming through the ocean surface. Oh my god. So smart. That's insane. Evolution is crazy, man. Brody and Quint pull up the cage being like, we'll save him. But he's not in there, so of course they're like, oh, he's dead. R.I.P. And then the fucking shark just comes onto the fucking boat! This part looks so bad. Sorry, I this was when I was like, that's definitely an animatronic shark. It's weird because it's both clearly fake, but also the thought of them making this impressive. Like, it's impressively fake, if that makes any sense. It was the way it's like body moved it looked so robotic like if it didn't kind of jerk a little it would have been like oh no a shark but i was like oh no a robot i'm still impressed that they were able to build something that could come out of i mean they had a lot of problems with it but i'm still impressed they were able to get it to work at all yeah that's fair but you're right it definitely looks like an animatronic Quint ends up sliding into his mouth. And it's funny because the reason he loses his grip is because the other compressed air container falls on his hand. And so he lets go. He should have just shoved it in his mouth and exploded him. That doofus. Robert Shaw does a really good job selling this because he slides down the boat. He tries really hard to not, but then he goes into the shark's mouth and after a couple of chomps is dead. But he sells it. He does a really good job. A good job at pretending to be eaten by a shark. Yeah. Okay. When you're not really. I agree. I believed it. Didn't think it was going to happen. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Yeah. Drags him under the water. Brody is in the cabin. The shark, like, comes up from the side, comes into the cabin, tries to eat him. uh, And then Brody just grabs the compressed air and throws it in his mouth because he's just trying to stop him. Bruce is like, oh, I need a minute to figure out what I'm doing with this. I don't I don't know what this is. Do I swallow and he it? he sinks Do back I... into the water. If you would have just, like, taken one big chomp out of it, would he have exploded on his own? We'll talk about this in a second. Um, okay. It works for the movie, but not for real life. He retreats back into the water, and Brody, action hero star he is now, first time we really see him in the water, gets Quinn's gun, puts it over his shoulder, gets one of the stabby harpoons stick things... He climbs up the crow's nest to go like to the top of the to the boat as it's sinking. Bruce comes, tries to eat him there, stabs him a whole bunch. Uh, shark retreats and then turns around and starts to come at him. Really fucking cool action shot, which is Brody taking the gun, shooting at the shark like five or six times, and eventually he says, "Smile, you son of a bitch!" Smile, you son of a bitch! <laughs> 
shocked. He shoots the compressed air. The shark explodes into chunks. It's also pretty goofy looking and didn't think that was going to happen either. Yeah, I guess when this was in the theaters, like people literally stood up on their feet and clapped. They were so happy. I'm upset. The shark didn't do anything. It didn't deserve to be exploded. Uh, yeah, the shark did do something, which is, okay, it killed Quint. That's fine. But he came back for Brody. So Brody had to defend himself. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to teach you a lesson, old man. Get out of my home. Hey, if you try to kill something, you got to know you can kill it for sure. The shark's hubris of not knowing when he needs to fucking stop. Him and Quint had a lot in common. That's why he ate him. There can only be one. <laughs> yep. In real life, I guess on Mythbusters, they debunk this. If you shoot the compressed air, it just kind of zips around a bunch. But it works for the movie. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it also really works because it's showing how much Brody has grown as a character and how much he has learned because he kind of kills the shark by using elements of both Quint and Hooper. So he uses Hooper's compressed air, but he he shoots it with Quint's gun. Wow, all his buddies taught him things. Now he is a real boy. Yeah, he's finally conquered his fear of the ocean. Hooper's alive. That's nice. Hooper swims up and they have a good laugh because they're like, we survived some fucking crazy shit. Have kind of like a, a moment of silence for Quint when they ask if Quint survived. And then they're like, let's go back to shore. So they get some of the barrels and start kicking. What's he say? I used to hate the water. <laughs> I can't imagine why. I'd hate it more now. I feel like my buddy got eaten by a shark right in front of me. I'm not going back in there. It's probably more of like, if I can fucking take down this great white by exploding it into a million pieces, what can I take on? <laughs> I mean, I guess there's that like initial high, but I don't know. He's probably going to have some major PTSD after this. Yeah. And then over the credits, you do see them kick to shore. So that's fun. They do make it. That's nice. Beautiful. Good for them. And then the movie oh, ends. Oh, finally. Thank God. I'm sorry you didn't like Jaws. You'll I'm have sorry. to You'll have to try to go see it. Um, If it's ever playing around you, you should try to go to the theater and see it. I definitely will. I think I'd like it if I was forced to pay attention. I think it is because you just, you get, you tend to get a little distracted when you're at home, which is fair. Here's the thing though. Even when you were just talking about the plot, I kept zoning out. I think I just don't find this movie interesting. Like, no offense to you, it's not your fault. No, it's okay. Yeah, you don't have to like all the movies that I like, but this is one of those perfectly crafted movies for me personally. I can't think of anything about this movie that I would change. Okay. It's fine if you didn't find the same enjoyment out of it. I mean, not every movie is gonna appeal to everybody and just because it's a movie that is universally liked doesn't mean you have to like it. You know what movie is not great? Forrest Gump. <gasps> you don't like Forrest Gump? <laughs> I'm just trying to cause controversy. Oh. Now. No, I was just really Gump surprised. I was excited to hear your reasonings. Oh no, I, it's pretty good. I was just trying to think of like a universally loved movie. It's like that's probably the one. National Treasure. Honestly, National Treasure is good. I really like National Treasure. The first one's really good. Yeah, I agree. For me, I think this movie is really well written. I love the characters in it. I think they do a really good job keeping the characters motivated, them making choices that make sense for their characters, for them. I don't think any of the characters don't evolve in some fashion, which I think is really well done. There's no character that stays the same. Even like evil Vaughn, who is all about money, he changes a little bit by finally being faced with the fact that, yeah, not everything is about money. Some things do affect 
you know, affect other people and affect my children. Yeah, it took a little boy being ripped apart by a shark for him to finally change. Oh, not even that. It took, it took, um, a second guy. Oh, it took, yeah, it was the next shark attack. Yeah. It took being publicly shamed, which... What a douche. It's fair. Well, if you want to be well-liked, don't let people get eaten by sharks several times. So then, would you say your biggest reason for not liking the movie is the story didn't rivet you? Here's the thing. It's a summer blockbuster. I would like to be entertained, and I'm bored. Oh, I do have one thing to talk about. Have you ever heard of The Lady of the Dunes? Yes. But I don't know why. It is a true crime case. Oh, yes. Okay. I think, I don't know if you've told me about this before or if I read it, but yeah, go on. In 74, the year this was filmed, in July, I can't remember when, there was a body found of a woman in Provincetown, Massachusetts in July of 1974. It's still unsolved. She was laying on a beach blanket. She didn't have her top on. Her hands were missing. They assumed they'd be able to find the killer really fast and they never did. A couple things that are notable about this case and one is that when they looked at her teeth she had very expensive dental work so they're like this is someone who came for money so someone should be looking for her. Oh that's really bizarre. They put out sketches of what she looked like and no one ever claimed her and one of the main theories of who people think this is There is a scene in Jaws when all of the tourists come to town. There is somebody in the crowd. If you Google this, the picture will come up. Um, There's also pictures of the crime scene. Yeah, no, so just be aware. The things that she was found in were the same things that this extra was wearing, and it looks exactly like her. Oh, is it the lady in the bandana? Yeah. Oh, shit, they do have crime photos. Okay, I'm gonna get out of there. But the problem is that the person who was in charge of casting has passed away, so they don't know who that extra was. But they think it would be her because it happened during filming. The movie shot from May to October of that year, and her body was found in July. Yeah, that's one of the main theories, that they think they that that extra is her, but they've never been able to figure out, even with DNA, they've never been able to figure out who she is. And do you know who popularized this theory? Um, Joe Hill. Joe Hill. He went to a screening of Jaws because it's one of his favorite movies. He had just watched uh, like something on like 2020 or something. And then when he sat in the movie, he was like, that's her. He called that uh, Provincetown police and they said that other people had reported it, but they weren't able to really do anything with it. That's insane so that is the weird thing that's tied in with it that just makes me think so if this woman came from money and it was like well-known news and they had police sketches that just makes me think okay so someone in her family definitely killed her if they're not even going to like say who she was it was either someone she knew or someone that like came up behind her and surprised her because there wasn't a struggle but yeah that is the little little bit of true crime trivia that is tied with jaws Anyways, let's go back to you. So are there certain things in particular that you like or don't like? I wish the whole movie was the fun boat adventure and I didn't get the crap with the town. I know it's important, but I was bored. Uh, I don't know what I wanted. I just, I don't like action movies. I didn't care. I just want to be mindlessly entertained. I don't want to think. Give me a shark. Yeah, I want more. More shark, please. Uh, should we jump into ratings? Let's do it. I think our ratings are going to be very different. Let's do do overall ratings. I think this is a perfect movie. 10 out of 10 for me. I gave it a 2 out of 5. I was really, (gasps) really bored. A 
Two out of five? Oh, no. What? We need to... Okay, if this movie is, is playing in the theaters when I come to town, we're going to go see okay. it. Okay, we can bribe the movie operators to play it. Michael said that if you didn't like it, he'd disown you. Don't tell which him. I don't know what that means. He's not going to listen to this. It's fine. That's true. Okay, uh, horror struck rating? Well, you said you're not afraid of the ocean if you're not in the ocean, right? I gave it a one out of ten because of that bloated, decapitated head. I don't like decapitation. I don't think anyone should like it, <laughs> but I personally don't. Uh, I'm glad you clarified that, you know. Um, <laughs> mine's a one out of ten. Yeah, I'm kind of, if I'm not in the ocean, I don't find sharks scary. So if I was in the ocean, right? Like, what's it gonna I might do? be more afraid. Come out of my toilet? I agree. You shouldn't be afraid of this movie. There's nothing scary. The shark is a good guy. (laughs) If you're a big beachgoer, I think this movie would probably terrify you a little bit, especially since they do make a a big point of saying that most shark attacks happen close to shore. Hmm. Because that's probably where all the people are. So I guess that makes sense. Should we talk about what we're going to be watching next week? Because next week is going to be your birthday week. It's your birthday. Rap, rap, pick up the phone. That's what we're watching. Happy death day too. To you. To me. And to, oh, what's her name? Tree. I'm very excited to watch this. I've seen it already. I have not. I know some of the things that happen. I know it trying to explain the loop. I know that she loops a lot more and there's like different versions of everybody, right? It's more about parallel like universes than it is about yeah. time. So that'll be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, it's a little more um a little more sci-fi horror. I guess it's it's good. I think we're probably Oh, I'm going to love it. Yeah, and I we're going to watch it like as a group, which yeah. I wish I would have done the first time. I still really liked it. I really like the characters. I think Jessica Roth is a phenomenal comedic actress, but Happy Death Day and the sequel I think are really good group movies, so I'm excited for that and I'm excited for my birthday. Birthday, birthday. All right, horror fans, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Horrorstruck. If you want to hear more from us, you can head on over to Twitter and Instagram where we are at HorrorstruckPod, or you can check us out on Facebook at HorrorstruckPodcast. If you have any movie recommendations, you can go ahead and tweet those at us and give it your very own Horrorstruck rating. Until next time, horror fans, remember, stay spooky. Goodbye. Bye.